This is Shots Gonna Fall, the Penn State Basketball Podcast. Introducing your hosts. They were once nitwits, and they have now graduated to professional dimwits. Here are Steve Travis and Evan Smith. Welcome, one and all, to a special edition of Shots Gotta Fall, the premier, the best, the only Penn State basketball podcast. My name is Steve Travis, joined as always by Evan Smith, and we are coming to you on a Wednesday evening because Penn State has a new basketball coach for their men's basketball team. He is the fourth head coach for Penn State in less than three years. Hard to believe, but his name is Mike Rhodes. He's the former head coach of VCU for the past six seasons, started there in 2017, and he is now set to join the Penn State Nittany Lions as their uh, their head coach, uh, officially uh, expected to be announced uh, either later on Wednesday or first thing on Thursday, um, but is reported to be a seven-year contract on the order of $3.5 million per year, making him the highest paid Penn State men's basketball coach in school history. Shouldn't come as a surprise, however, to uh, many people. Evan Smith, your initial thoughts on Mike Rhodes, future head coach of the Penn State Nittany Lions. That's pretty darn good hire, Steve. I mean, given the circumstances, I think it's about as good as you can do. If you look over Penn State's last few head basketball coach hires, um, there's been a traditional theme in that out to take Shrewsbury out of it, we usually go for a you know a low to mid level um, you know assistant or not assistant uh, head coach at a lower level school that has some sort of Pennsylvania or Penn State ties. That's what we did for Ed Chalice. That's what we did for Pat Chambers. But Ed Chalice was at Eastern Tennessee. Pat Chambers at Boston. VC is better than both of those, right? By quite a bit. I mean, VCU is is you know one of the one, it's probably considered the best gig in the Atlantic Ten, which is not a Power Five or Six conference, but it's in the next few. Right. So it's of that similar vein, but it's definitely better than we've we've done in the past, just based on his experience. Right. Uh, by far, one of the most exper- I think probably the most experienced coach we've hired uh, in quite some time. I don't think that's a surprise, given the way that the last coach exited and he was the least experienced head coach you could possibly hire. Right. With zero games of head coaching experience. So you have someone who is experienced. You have someone who's recruited the region particularly the DMV area, but, you know, even up through in Philly and whatnot. So it makes sense for Penn State. And I think, Steve, for most importantly for me is this does not seem like a coach who's going to hop to a better gig the second he succeeds here. Um, And that's really what I want. He's 50 years old. This would seem like something. Give him some time to get it set up, get it rolling. And and you kind of think this is the last coaching job he's going to have, right? Maybe it's 10, 15 years from now, things go well. Maybe I'm being optimistic given that fact that, like you mentioned, we've had four coaches in three years. I'd like to think we're going to kind of kind of get away from that here for a little bit. Um, but all things considered, uh, I think it's a heck of a hire, Steve. Weird to think that for a school that has made, let's call it two NCAA tournament appearances in those three years to uh, be going through that many coaching changes. It seems it seems really bizarre. You're probably not going to find too many schools across the country that have had, at least uh, power conference schools, I should say, who have had that level of success and uh, have gone through that uh, revolving door of coaches. Um, Evan, you mentioned experience uh, playing a factor in your opinion of this hire. One of the um, candidates left out, um, as as we know it right now, of, of Penn State men's basketball's future 
is that of a former associate head coach under Micah Shrewsbury, Adam Fisher. Adam Fisher, obviously uh, kind of a career assistant, um, was on the Jim Laranega staff at Miami before um, he came to back to Penn State. He was actually uh, an initial assistant under um, uh, Coach Patrick Chambers, uh, and then went to Miami, uh, became uh, an assistant under Jim Laranega there, uh, recruited uh, some, some great players, helped recruit some great players down at Miami, and then came back to Penn State, his alma mater, um, to uh, be an assistant under Micah Shrewsbury. And then when Micah Shrewsbury um, left for Notre Dame, um, Adam Fisher was kind of left to um, you know search for a job on his own. And he, he put his name in the ring for uh, this position. And obviously, he is not receiving that. His name is also in the running for Temple head coach. And uh, Temple's going through their own sort of problems right now in terms yes, of they are. instability and... Um, you could know, always be worse. Could lack of assuredness from from their uh, you know their administration. Lack, so lack of a president. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it's it's entirely possible um, that Adam Fisher decides I don't really care about that. I'm going to go to Philly, uh, where I have a history of recruiting fairly well, and um, take that position um, as the as the head coach at Temple. Um, if he does so, then um, you know he will probably do it for. Um, a bit of a race from what he was making this past season, but considerably less than he, um, than he would have gotten uh, if he were the head coach of, of Penn state this year. Uh, but there were a lot of fans um, uh, players that were pushing for Adam Fisher to, to get this job um, uh, again, despite that, that lack of experience as a, as a head coach, Evan, where do you fall on that side of things with, with not having Adam Fisher on this staff entering the next season? Sure. And I don't, you know, we don't, I guess we don't know that for sure yet. We're going to kind of see what happens. Um, I, I think, you know, if, if I'm Mike Rhodes, I probably want to bring in my own, you know, associate head coach, but, but maybe not, right. Maybe he, he does want to keep Fisher along. So, so we'll see. I think in general, you mentioned a lot of the players, you know, really expressed their preference for Adam Fisher. Um, we noted that in the last pod, but we also noted that it was all the players that aren't playing here next year, right? None of the current players uh, really expressed anything. It was all the graduating seniors uh, and one that had already left in Sam Sessom. So it, it's hard to say, you know, Fisher was obviously key in recruiting um, the 2023 recruiting class. Uh, you know, we've seen two decommit so far. The only one left is the Notre Dame head coach's son. So I don't think he'll be staying here. Um, you know, is there an argument that if Fisher could have kept Kerry Booth, do you, do you give him the job? Well, I thought you brought up the astute point last pod, Steve, that you want to be held hostage by, you know, a recruit, someone who's never played before to decide your next head coach. Um, I'm always of the ilk that I do think that the continuity is going to be easier if it is someone on staff, the, the Jim Ferry argument from two years ago. Um, but we, you know, we didn't do it then. We didn't do it now. It's going to be what it is. Um, you know, it, it's... Mike Rhodes, I don't think he's going to freak out about losing a potential assistant. If he loses some players for that, so be it. It's very likely he'll be coming here with some in mind already that maybe make the, the, the swap from VCU. So it's a shame we're going to potentially lose the, almost our entire roster uh, from last year. But that's kind of what happens. I mean, with, with the way Micah Shrewsbury left, it's, it's a bit of scorched earth right now. And someone's got to come in and pick up the pieces, and it, it's going to be Mike Rhodes. Interestingly enough, uh, Mike Rhodes' current associate head coach is a guy by the name of Jamal Brunt, who also served as an assistant under Miami head coach Jim Laranega at the same time that Adam Fisher was there. 
Uh, so you can kind of replace one branch of the Laranega tree uh, with another, uh, potentially. Again, all of this is speculation. Uh, if Mike Rhodes decides to uh, bring Jamal Brunt along for the ride uh, to State College and become his associate head coach at Penn State. Um, in terms of salary here, um, because I think some of the um, the word coming from out of fans and, and, and some of the social media circles you know, is asking if Mike Rhodes was overpaid. And I would argue that he's not, that uh, he's basically getting what is market value for a Big Ten men's basketball coach uh, in, in the going, you know, in, in, in the going market. Um, he is somewhere now right around the middle of the pack in the Big Ten in, in terms of uh, men's basketball coach's salary. The leader of the pack is Tom Izzo. Shouldn't come as a surprise to many. He's making over $5.7 million uh, this past season. Brad Underwood second at $4.6 million. Overpaid. Uh, uh, should Micah Shrewsbury have stayed, he would have been nestled somewhere in that uh, number three slot, uh, making uh, just over $4 million. Kevin Willard, uh, Maryland is at 3.9. Greg Gard, 3.6. Juwan Howard, also 3.6. Matt Painter at Purdue, 3.58. And here comes Chris Holtman and uh, Mike Rhodes equally at $3.5 million. So again, that's, uh, that's right around eighth in the Big Ten in terms of salary, he'd be making more money than Fred Hoiberg at Nebraska, Fran McCaffrey at Iowa, Mike Woodson at Indiana, Steve Peichel at Rutgers, Chris Collins at Northwestern, and Ben Johnson at Minnesota uh, remains the lowest paid head coach in the Big Ten at just over $2 million. So when you factor all of those numbers in together, Mike Rhodes is pretty much getting what the market dictates he receive uh, as a Big Ten men's basketball coach. Obviously, a substantial raise from what he was uh, making at VCU. I think it was reported that he's uh, making about 1.7 uh, at VCU this past season, so it's all basically uh, a double uh, double salary to take that step up into the Big Ten. But the market dictates that he's pretty much getting what you would expect a head coach to get uh, coming into the Big Ten, and it may also be seen as a bargain a few years down the line as the Big Ten is about to come into a bit of a windfall as they just signed their new TV deal that goes into uh, effect with the start of the next football season. So all of that money gets pulled back into the conference and distributed to all, uh, all 14 teams. So the, the market may actually increase uh, for, uh, for the big 10 and, and Penn state as a whole, at which point $3.5 million may three or four years down the line. If, uh, if Mike Rhodes succeeds be seen as a steal, just like I would say Chris Collins, 2.8 million right now at Northwestern is a bit of a steal. Um, considering how well his team has performed in the past few seasons. Oh, is this going to be a pro-Northwestern pod again, That was, Steve? That's Come the on. only uh, pro-Northwestern comment I'm, I'm going to make. Um, but Steve, Evan, can, your, I, can I chime in on, on the money? Yeah, your, yeah. your thoughts on the money here. Because, here, you know, we again, Steve and I try to – we love hearing all the feedback we get and, and interactions on, on social media and stuff like that. And I, I, we definitely hear the we overpaid for it, Okay. We hear that, but we also hear the, you know, the, the, we talked this a little bit with Jeff Brown on last week's pod, but that, you know, how Penn state's got to get its NIL in order, right? We're behind the times on that. Those two things don't mesh with me. I don't think you can be saying both of those things because you should be realizing, yes, our NIL, NIL does need to be better and we need to figure out a way to do it. But you also need to realize that that's the way business is done now. Well, guess what? This is what a general head coach costs at the higher levels. That's also the cost of doing business this is what the way things work now. So for those that are saying, you know, we're, we're, we're paying too much. You, you got to kind of move forward with the times, just like the people that need, we need, you know, we need to move forward with NIL. So to me, those two thoughts just don't really mesh. We, 
this is what you pay for a head coach nowadays. If you want to be you know, even decent, this isn't even what you pay for a top-level coach. So I don't really get that argument. I know Penn State has has routinely uh, discounted coaches' uh, you know, salaries for years, right, going back to the Paterno era. We know he was paid way under market for how long. Uh, basketball's probably never really paid market value. They were going to a Shrewsbury, and this is about market value for, for Mike Rhodes. So I, I don't really have a problem with the financial investment. It's the it's what you need to do. This is just keeping up with the Joneses. Um, so I'm glad we spent the money. I would argue that it matters less what the annual salary is for Rhodes. It matters more what the buyout is uh, in this contract. And I'm not sure if we'll ever get the details um, on that. But um, in today's college basketball, contract length and, and salary doesn't mean a whole lot because coaches come and go pretty much as they please all the time. You know, we just saw Mike Shrewsbury leave in the middle of his contract. Mike Rhodes is leaving in the middle of his. So, you know, it's not so much how long is he signed for, how much is he getting paid? It's how much does it cost to, you know, if you lose him, how much does he have to pay the university back um, or his new employer pay the university back if he jumps? How much do we have to pay him if we decide to cut bait after three or four years? Those numbers matter more to me than what he's being paid to, to sit on the bench. And again, as we just went over, what he's being paid to sit on the bench is pretty much market value. It's what's expected for somebody uh, at this level in, in 2023. Um, so let's get into kind of who Mike Rhodes is and kind of what his history is uh, as a head coach, uh, both at the Division One level and and prior to that. Again, Evan mentioned he's 50 years old. So um, you know, he's, he's certainly has a lot of experience as a head coach. Uh, he in fact would have the most head coaching experience of any, uh, coach at Penn state, uh, history. Um, nobody's coached more games before taking the job, um, at Penn state than Mike Rhodes has. Um, he started uh, his coaching career in 1999 for, uh, Randolph, the Randolph Macon yellow jackets out of the, uh, old Dominion athletic conference. Evan, it didn't give you the chance to name that conference in uh, in Division Three, I'm sure you would have nailed it on the first try. Um, he finished with just shy of 200 wins there uh, in his uh, 10 seasons. They reached the Sweet 16 in Division Three twice uh, with the Yellow Jackets. He then received his first uh, Division One offer in uh, entering the uh, 2014 season after a few seasons as an assistant. Um, he became the head coach of the Rice Owls in the 2014 season. Um, uh, at a conference USA, they, he inherited a, a pretty, you know, weak roster there of, uh, of not a whole lot of success. And then in his final season there in 2016, 2017, uh, he turned them around pretty aggressively with finishing with a record of uh, 23 and 12 overall 11 and seven in conference USA took them to the CBI quarterfinals, uh, where they, uh, where they fell from there. Uh, he then got a promotion to uh, t- take his next step up in the mid-majors and joined VCU, where he uh, had been since 2017, as I mentioned. Uh, just shy of 130 wins. 129-61 and 61 is his overall record at VCU. 72-32 and 32, uh, in the Atlantic 10, including uh, one first-place finish uh, and two second-place uh, – sorry, two first-place finishes and two second-place finishes uh, in those six seasons. Uh, reached the NCAA tournament in three of those six and the NIT in a fourth. Um, the one NCAA tournament appearance, Evan, if you recall, in uh, 2021, uh, he had to forfeit their first round game, the first time in the history of the NCAA tournament in which a team had to forfeit an opening round game that was due to positive COVID tests on VCU. So while he's technically in the in the record books 0-3, 
uh, in the NCAA tournament, let's call it uh, 0-2, including a, a loss this year to St. Mary's uh, in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Um, so he clearly comes into Penn State with a, a fair amount of experience, um, not a whole lot of success uh, in the postseason. Uh, I know some people are, are pointing out their displeasure at that. Uh, my personal take is I will <laughs> gladly take making the NCAA tournament every other season uh, for a school that averages one NCAA tournament appearance every decade. Um, I think even if you lose in the first round, making the dance uh, every other year is, is a good problem to have. Evan, where do you fall in that argument? I am right in line with you. <laughs> what a ridiculous argument. He hasn't done well in the postseason. It must be nice. I mean, I get, you know, not every school can win multiple NIT championships. I understand that. <laughs> and he got knocked out in the second round. That's a little embarrassing. If and when he makes the NIT here, I do expect him to do better. We have the nation's longest NIT winning streak. So areas to improve there. But listen, he danced three of, of, of uh, five years, right? I mean, come on. Like, that's awesome. That's exactly what you're looking for. It's VCU, right? A10. I bet he was an underdog almost every single year in the NCAA tournament, right? So to me, that's somewhat of a silly argument. Um, let, let us be mad when we lose in the first round of the NCAA tournament in consecutive years. I look forward to that problem. For now, come on. He also proved he can win in the postseason. You know, I know it was, uh, you know, it, it wasn't even D1, um, but, he, you know, he did win. He had two sweet 16s, right? So, like, he's succeeded plenty fine in the postseason. To me, that's something of a silly argument. Uh, I'm very thrilled the fact that we're talking about postseason. Yeah, and I also think postseason, you know, tournament matchups in the dance are as much about, you know, who you're matched up against versus how good your season was. And I think conference record being able to consistently stay uh, towards or at the top uh, of the A-10 over an extended period of time uh, in six years speaks more to me about how good of a coach he is than uh, the fact that, you know, maybe he ran into some bad matchups in the tournament. I mean, St. Mary's was a good team this year. Um, That's not a that's not a despicable loss in the first round. Um, you know, we talked about Penn State's matchup with Texas A&M. It didn't look like a very favorable matchup for us. Ended up ended up winning the game, and then we ran into a buzzsaw in Texas. Sometimes it's just the matchups that you get and kind of how it goes. Um, you know, ask uh, ask Purdue, ask Kansas this year how they feel <laughs> about their NCAA tournament dance. Again, problems we would like to have is, is consecutive appearances in the NCAA tournament. Um, so let's go into a little bit about what kind of style of uh, of offense and defense VCU tends to run, or at least they did run under Mike Rhodes and kind of what maybe uh, he brings to uh, to Penn State. I say all of this with a caveat at the onset because um, I think the best coaches in college basketball adapt to their surroundings. I think they adapt to uh, the rosters that they have or who they're able to recruit, who they're able to bring in. Uh, so it's not necessarily to say, oh, because he's his teams at VCU were this way, that this is exactly how all of his teams at Penn State are going to be. Um, but it's at least a blueprint for kind of what he's been able to do to uh, to success at VCU. Uh, VCU runs something that they refer to as the uh, the Havoc uh, defense. It's a kind of a one-two-one press, and they force their opponents to um, to, to try to they try to slow their opponents down by by pressing them. Uh, and they forced uh, a lot of turnovers doing it uh, that way. They forced a lot of steals. Uh, last season, uh, their defense uh, consistently uh, over the past few years uh, has rated uh, in the top uh, top twenty of Ken Palm efficiencies. In fact, uh, four of the past five seasons, uh, the Mike Rhodes defense at VCU has finished in the uh, top fifteen 
at Ken Palm deficiencies. Uh, offensively, however, uh, they do struggle. Yeah, it is not an offensively uh, proficient team. Uh, nothing year to the level of what we saw from Penn State's offense this season. They're not a. They were not heavy uh, three point shooting teams. Uh, they were not incredibly efficient. In fact, um, only um, only yeah only one year here did I find an adjusted uh, offensive efficiency um, in the top uh, like one hundred and fifty. So. Um, it's not something that he he does particularly well from an offense perspective, but their whole offense is basically try to get out in transition, you know, use those turnovers to their advantage, run down the court, uh, take the first shot available to you, whether or not it's it's the best decision or not. Uh, but they're just trying to run fast. Uh, and, and that's the thing that I want to emphasize about VCU is their tempo. Uh, 142 in Justin Tempo last this season, 95 in 2022. Uh, 107 in 2021. Uh, compare that uh, to Penn State, which was uh, 320th in adjusted tempo this year. Uh, so, while Penn State really likes to slow it down, especially in the front court, uh, you know, tried to use Jalen Pickett to kind of drive and kick, but they would oftentimes take their shots with 10 seconds or under left in the shot clock. That's not what VCU does, um, and it's that kind of faster pace that really sets them apart from a, a Rutgers or a Wisconsin uh, in the Big Ten. So there are a few people saying on Twitter, uh, some very notable posters on Twitter saying that, oh, this is just going to be, we're just going to be running this ugly kind of Rutgers, Wisconsin basketball. That's not what VCU does. That's not, that's not their offense. That's not, that's not their style of play. Um, VCU isn't going to get into many rock fights in the 50s. That's just not, they didn't have that this season. It's just not the kind of game that they play. Uh, in fact, more statistics here. VCU had 14 games this season with 70 or more possessions. Uh, by comparison, Rutgers had eight such games. Penn State had seven such games. Wisconsin had four. So VCU is not the kind of team that's going to dribble, 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 dribble 25 seconds, um, take a shot at the tail end of the shot clock and settle for um, a 50 to 45 game or a 40 to 35 game. Those are not the kind of games VCU wants to play. It's not ideal for them. That's not um, how they're trying to control the game. So that's very different from a Rutgers or Wisconsin, which is just going to try to bore you to death over 40 minutes. I would argue that a transition offense that relies heavily on dunks and uh, and steals and, and kind of fast breaks that is far from boring. Sounds fun. Uh, so Evan, how would you how would you kind of rate what VCU or what Mike Rhodes VCU uh, does on the court and how it translates? Uh, to Penn State in the Big Ten? Sure, it's a great question. I think we're, you know, any opinions about negativity, their negative type style, it has a lot of recency bias because of what we just saw this year. How many times over the last year does Steve and I tell you this team's weird? Don't, this isn't what the future is going to look like anyway, right? It's so statistically, uh, you know, it's an anomaly on so many sides. So, you know, don't view it like, oh, it's not going to be as much fun as last year. This year under Micah Shrewsbury was not going to be the same offense as it was last year. Steve and I have spent two years saying we don't really know what Shrewsbury's style was. We had two very different years. I would wager his first year at Notre Dame is not going to look anything like either one of the first two. And we might see something similar with Mike Rhodes, and that's that's going to be okay, right? You're going to have to adjust your style to, to who you get, right? Right now the roster's not very big. Uh, so we're going to need to get some players. If he brings over a couple of his VCU guys, there's a chance that, you know, it might look a little bit more like how he played in the past, but it's hard to argue with, uh, with up-tempo defense, pushing the ball up the floor. These are, these are things we like. These are things we enjoy. Um, defense leading to offense is a good thing. Um, you know, we had multiple players that, that 
virtually never committed fouls this year. And we kind of commented, I don't know if that's really a good thing. You, you want to press a little bit, right? A lot of times we let offenses kind of get whatever they wanted against us. So I have no problem with the style. But again, the style may adjust a little bit as it is to, to judge negatively based on what he did at VCU and thinking that style is going to be exactly the same. It's kind of silly an argument to me. Let's see what happens. And it might be a year or two or three until we really figure that out. Yeah, I, I mean, I know an off uh, a defense that relies heavily on turnovers uh, coming into a league like the Big Ten that tends to take really good care of the basketball. We saw Penn State take really good care of the basketball this year, uh, and that's fairly common in the Big Ten. A lot of teams aren't really careless with the basketball. So maybe, yeah, maybe a defense that relies heavily on a steal and, and transition buckets may not work uh, in, in today's Big Ten. Uh, it worked all right for Pat Chambers' Big Ten. Um, his teams relied pretty heavily on what he called attitude plays, which were a lot of you know loose balls and uh, loose ball scrambles and, and steals and transition buckets. Um, and uh, again, those teams, especially towards the end of his tenure here, um, I thought were, were very exciting to watch um, on a level. So I, I wouldn't get too caught up in in just offensive efficiency being less than what we were used to this season and the defense efficiency being uh, on the high side and compare that to a Rutgers or Wisconsin. Um, my thesis here was just to say that uh, they do play very different styles of basketball than, than what we see in Rutgers and Wisconsin. And uh, Evan, I know you mentioned this, this to me off the pod. I think Penn State could do worse than, uh, than ending, like a, every, ending every season like a Rutgers or Wisconsin, which is consistently in the mix for yeah. uh, the postseason every single year. Their fans ain't complaining about it. So I, I don't, what, in what world are we to be complaining about it? At the end of the day, what's exciting basketball is winning basketball, and both Rutgers and Wisconsin are able to do that fairly consistently. And so even if, which again is highly unlikely, um, this Penn State uh, system tends to look a lot like Rutgers or Wisconsin, I'm not going to be too sad about it as long as Penn State's winning basketball games, um, just as I wasn't too sad about it this year when we found a way to win basketball games towards the end down the stretch. Um, so that's kind of just a little preview of kind of what Mike Rhodes – uh, brings to the table, but you know Evan kind of hinted at what the roster is looking like. And before we wrap up this this special pod, we do want to talk a little bit about kind of the roster situation. Um, again, from from the <laughs> side of retaining what's currently in Penn State's pockets, uh, it's not looking super good to to put it lightly. Penn State doesn't have a whole lot of players left on its roster who have not as of yet <laughs> declared uh, for the portal. Oddly enough. Brandon Shrewsbury has still not made himself, uh, has still not taken himself out of his NLI, uh, but nobody, again, uh, is assuming that he's uh, that he's going to stay. Uh, Steve's but, being generous. He said there's not a lot of players left. That You could have just stopped after left, Steve. Uh, there, there are very few basketball players on our roster. That's where we stand right now. Um, I've been kind of tracking this on my own personal Twitter almost as a joke because, you know, it's not going to stand, but it is somewhat humorous. So assuming Brain Shrewsbury leaves, which I, I think is a safe assessment, and those that are in the portal don't come back, which, you know, it is possible they come back. But just say they don't. Right now you're starting point guards, Kanye Clary. Well, that's not bad. Right, starting power forward, Kev Ajay, not too bad. Starting center, Demetrius Lilly's a little scary. He didn't do a whole lot this year. Um, those are the only three scholarship players we have right now steve the starting shooting guard would be walk on dan conlon and the starting small forward would be walk on andy christos the bench would be uh no one um so they would be all playing 40 minutes um <laughs> it's it's not great now, again it's we're saying this tongue-in-cheek it's obviously not going to last right now um but this is where it stands right now uh n- not great 
would I think be the word we'd use to describe it. But also, it's it's almost an irrelevant snapshot because it will look nothing like this by the time we actually tip off in November. It's reasonable, perhaps, to suggest that one, maybe two of the players that are currently um, either destined for the portal or on the roster uh, currently uh, do stick around to uh, play for uh, Mike Rhodes. If you do recall, uh, both John Hara and Seth Lundy uh, entered their names in the transfer portal uh, prior to a- after Micah Shrewsbury was announced as the uh, head coach, both of which obviously stuck around uh, and finished their careers uh, at Penn State. So anything can happen, um, but it's not looking likely, I would say, that Mike Rhodes is able to retain uh, even a, uh, a majority of, um, of what is currently out there uh, for Penn State. But on the flip side of things, um, what Micah Shrewsbury wasn't able to do that Mike Rhodes has the potential to do here is bring over some players from his previous job. Micah Shrewsbury notably only brought over Jameel Brown uh, from Purdue, who wasn't even a, a, an enrolled um, uh, student at the time. He was, a, he was a recruit that was committed to Purdue, and then uh, Micah was able to flip him and bring him back to Penn State. Uh, obviously not looking like, you know, he declared for the portal today, so not looking like he will return and uh, he may go back to uh, to Notre Dame with uh, with Coach Shrewsbury. But in any event, Mike Rhodes, however, there is at least some buzz that uh, four of his best players may follow him uh, and come to Penn State. And there are some pretty good players on here. We want to introduce them to you uh, in case you start hearing their names more and more over the coming weeks. Uh, the top of the list uh, is um, appropriately named Ace. His name is Ace Baldwin. He is the defending A-10 player of the year, the A-10 defensive player of the year. Um, really, really good star player for um, for Mike Rhodes this season at, at VCU. Um, there are uh, also hopes that he would return both members of his uh, 2022 recruiting class that finished top 50 in the nation. Uh, that would be um, uh, Fats Billups, uh, no relation to Chauncey. <laughs> um, uh, he's a kind of a combo guard and, uh, they're, um, they're big, they're, uh, big would be entering his second year, uh, Christian Furman, who was a Penn state target, um, a couple of years ago, uh, as well. Um, also additionally, uh, forward here, uh, potentially coming over from VCU would be Jalen Deloach. Now all four of those guys could potentially start, um, for this team, uh, this year. So it could be a little, uh, VCU North, um, uh, if wait, that... wait, wait a minute, Steve. Let me let me check our roster. Do we have space for all? The... Yes, we do. Okay. <laughs> we do have space for all those players. So you know, you're not bringing in. Those are not all scrubs. Those are four guys who who can play and and did play and and won the A10 this year and have NCAA tournament experience. So you're not bringing in you know guys who who you know necessarily are completely unfamiliar to either Mike Rhodes or to winning basketball. Um, Evan, your thoughts on on potentially bringing some of these VCU uh, star players uh, up into State College and having them on this roster going forward? I will take them. I like that idea. I think we should do that. We should pursue that rigorously. No, I mean it's it's th- th- this helps, right? I mean this is kind of what you're looking for. This is what you you hope kind of happens. You know, we we've said on this pod, I think when Michael Shrewsbury committed to Penn State, I think he was probably able to tell Sandy Barber, yeah, Jamil Brown's coming with me. Now, that didn't make as much of a difference. It would have been nice. Um, 
again, Purdue is obviously a better gig than Penn State. Here, this is moving up, right? Mike Rhodes is, is moving up, I think. It, maybe not by as much as we would hope, but it is a, it is an upgrade. So for some of these guys, you know, they might, they might have had a great year in the A-10. They're saying, all right, well, can I do it at the next level? Can I get in the, the power six and, and, and do this in the Big Ten? So, you know, there's the I think there's a little bit more of an appeal. It's not a not a far trip, right? VC is not too far from Penn State, so that kind of helps as well. Um, I wouldn't. It's probably unlikely we get all four. Can you give me two? Can you give me three? I think that that would be really beneficial. And the fact they did win the A10, maybe they are looking for that next challenge. You mentioned Christian Furman. I was able to see him uh, play in high school. He's from my neck of the woods where I grew up. I was actually really hoping uh, Penn State would be able to get him. Um, really high recruit. So fingers crossed that that could be something um, that, that turns out well for Penn State. Again, he's, he's from the States. So that definitely helps. Yeah. I mean, these are guys with, with power five offers. I mean, these are, these are not guys who uh, took their, uh, took their only real D one scholarship shot at VCU and are doing good things with it. These are guys who, who turned down ACC schools, turned down big 10 schools, turned down, um, you know, power conference schools to join Mike Rhodes uh, at VCU. Um, so he's been able to recruit effectively to uh, and kind of get the guys to buy into what he wants to do. And, uh, you know, hopefully there's uh, there's some truth to this. These rumors that some of these guys may be joining him at Penn State. I think that's a that's a good thing. I don't I wouldn't take anything negative out of that. Uh, at all, and that, as I've talked about tongue in cheek, we don't really have a, much of a much of a cause to decline anybody coming to Penn State at this point, uh, just based on um, on what's available. Also, the portal, as it is these years, um, is is chock full of talent. So the faster Mike Rhodes can hit the ground running, um, the better it is for Penn State potentially kind of fill out your roster. I mean, there's. Um, it's going to look very different. There's going to be a whole lot of names from a whole lot of schools you were unfamiliar with, but um, such was the Micah Shrewsbury years as well. I mean, we had two years of um, who's this guy? Where's this guy from? Where did he play? You know, so um, I don't think it's going to be something that's uh, completely an outlier in the landscape of college basketball as a whole. Um, maybe, maybe the outlier is the extent to which we're doing this. And the, to, the, yeah. to the extent we're doing it the second time in three friggin' years, but yeah. Uh, I agree. This this is more not as crazy as maybe it sounds. We're just doing it to the extremes, and well, way too often. <laughs> um, I've been final thoughts here. I, I'm kind of out of I'm out of uh, tidbits here um, for for the pod. Can keep this relatively short. We'll uh, we'll return on Sunday with some uh, some increasingly special content it looks like yeah we'll see uh, we'll see some... not, not over promise steve we've done yes that before, so yes that. no i think you know as, as you know as we're recording this now penn state has announced that they're going to do the introductory press conference tomorrow at 2 30 at the bryce jordan center um vcu released a you know a nice statement you know wishing them the best of luck so you know we're here it's you know whether you're you know a, a pat chambers guy or a micah shrewsbury guy we're we're turning the page on all of that this is now you know the next thing we might still have some guys from some of those regimes still hanging around whether it be coaching or playing but it's it's my hope is that today or probably you know tomorrow whenever you're listening to this whatever your thoughts are over the last couple of years or even decade or two let's all start this new this new group together right agree it's going to be a new era Right, we, none of us really have strong opinions about Mike Rhodes. You might love the hire, you might hate the hire. Right, you might recognize some players in the team this year. You might not. It's it's going to be what it is. But this is where we're at. Penn State is now spending real money on a basketball coach. Three point five million is what we're hearing. I mean, you don't think Pat Chambers or Ed DeCellis would have would have given a lot for that? I mean, that's that's that was probably two years for some of them, if not more. So 
we're now at a much better place than we were, say, 15, 20 years ago. This next year might be a little bit hard, but that's not the point. I'm looking at two, three, four years and, and a decade and two decades. And my hope is that this is where Penn State kind of resets, realizes what they need to do to achieve at basketball over long periods of time to retain coaches and by hiring a coach who wants to be here. And let's see what happens. It's exciting. It's new. I remember sitting at Pat Chambers introductory press conference. I might try to sneak over to um, uh, to this one tomorrow. Let's kind of see what happens. But I think you have to be optimistic for the future. And that's what it's all about, Steve. Not a lot of optimism in our history as fans of Penn State basketball. I have some. I hope you do, too. I hope all of our listeners do. Let's enjoy this new ride together. Yeah, I just want to echo that a little bit here. Um, I think especially at a time like this where the – it's. I think it's easy to feel kind of dismayed or disappointed or kind of down on the overall state of, of Penn State men's basketball. I mean, look, we had a, a coach take us to the you know the round of 32 and within an eyelash away from the Sweet 16 uh, this season, and then he decided that he didn't want to be here anymore, and he left. And it's easy to take that personally. It's easy to feel dismayed, and it's easy to, to even look at the situation with NIL and the administration and say, you know what, I don't want to put my support behind this basketball team anymore. But I would argue and plead uh, to our listeners that that's not what you should do. I think it's more important now than ever to give your support to, to this program, uh, to this coach, and uh, and let's just hope for good things. Um, Steve, no. can, I, can I correct myself? I said 3.5 mil. Um, it, it's actually going to start at 3.4. The seventh year is going to actually be 4 million. So it's going to be a sliding scale. You talked about buyout. His buyout for year one is going to be 15 mil. It's going to go down 3 mil each year all the way to through season six. So it's a pretty significant buyout. Uh, there's obviously incentives and stuff as well. But it looks like it's, you know, if you average all four seven years, it's going to be a little bit over 3.5 million. Who's uh, reporting that? Years. Who's reporting and, that? Audrey Snyder okay. reporting that. So uh, we're, we're confident that that one's pretty solid. Bunch of incentives as well, but just in general, you know. If, so if you were to leave after the Shrewsbury's two-year reign, like uh, like we just saw, be twelve million dollar buyout. I think Penn State's playing very very safely that that's not going to happen. Um, but I think those are right in the numbers that we've heard reported all the time. I just wanted to correct it. Technically, the average over the seven years will be a little bit more than three point five million. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, just just I would urge you and encourage you uh, throw your support behind uh, behind Mike Rhodes and you know at least. Let him get a roster together. Give him a couple of years here. Let's see what he can do. Uh, like Evan, I'm optimistic. Um, it's not, in my opinion, a home run hire, but I didn't think there were many options uh, for a home run here. So I, I give it a solid B, um, and I'm happy with the B at this point. Um, if if you know if your home run is like a is like a McDermott at, at Creighton. Um, you could do a lot worse than, than uh, uh, Mike Rhodes uh, at Penn State, I certainly think. Um, in any event, we hope you join us. Again, we will return on oh, probably Sunday, right? Sunday, I, I believe. And then we'll, uh, oh God, I hope, get back to no a more normal pods. schedule. So tired um, of Kind of done with emergency pods. So, um, But we thank you for listening to this uh, very special episode, and we hope that uh, you will welcome Mike Rhodes with open arms, as we will here on the premier, the best, the only Penn State basketball podcast, Shots Gotta Fall. We'll talk to you soon.